Well, hey everybody, welcome again to Vineyard Altoona. If you're a first time guest, I especially wanna welcome you. Uh, I'm so glad you've chosen to join us, uh, whether it's in one of our homes or whether it's uh, at a distance, I'm just so glad you're here. And I hope this is a beneficial experience for you. Uh, we're gonna begin, I'm just gonna pray to begin our time today. So would you just join me in prayer? So Lord, we do welcome you into this space. And God, as we open your word this morning, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. God, that your words would come out. And Lord, that you would invade our defenses, God. That we would experience you uh, regardless of whatever walls we've put up in our lives. Lord, would you enable to, me to speak as I should? God, I pray that you would put your words in my mouth. So come, Lord, have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're beginning a, a series today uh, along with another, uh, uh, several other churches around the Altoona area uh, put together by Pastor John Collins uh, up at First Church of Christ. And we're so glad to be part of that. And one of the things we really love here is being a part uh, of, of a unified body of Christ among the churches. And so we're so grateful to be part of this. I know there's several other churches that are going to participate as well. So we're beginning this series that's called Off Limits. And the whole premise behind the series is to take a look at the things in our lives that we have a hard time surrendering to God, that typically are just not things that we really want to surrender. And so we're going to begin this series. And as we begin, I want you to think about how you are when it comes to building something. So like, let's say, for example, you go to Ikea. I know a number of you love Ikea. So you go to Ikea and you buy one of their boxes and you bring it home, and you know, if you don't know Ikea, it's like boxes of furniture that you put together yourself. I, I, it's, I mean, lazy, I guess, I don't know. But you bring the box home, and you're gonna put it together yourself. What kind of person are you? When you open the box, are you the kind of person that's like, well, we don't need no instructions, let's just throw the instructions away? Or are you the kind of person that follows the instructions to the T? What kind of person are you? I can imagine there's a number of guys that are watching this. They're like, we don't need instructions. It's a table. How hard could it actually be to put together? And so you throw the instructions away. But I want, if you ever want a really good laugh, Google Ikea fails. Just Google it. I promise you'll, you'll thank me later. I got on there. There's like chairs where the front legs are pointing up. There's like bookshelves that are like leaned sideways. There's tables that are bowed in the middle. And there's all these really weird things. I saw one that was a, um, it was a bookshelf that looked more like a staircase and it wasn't intended to be that way. Uh, and it's all these crazy ways that we put together this furniture. And the reason is people don't follow the instructions. So we have no idea what the manufacturer intended. And so we put it together based on what we think rather than the way the manufacturer intended. And I think this is a picture of what can happen if you do a series like this without first understanding how God makes you holy. As we start this series, I think we could get, you know, if we don't understand how God makes someone holy, how God changes someone, we could begin and end up with some really wacky ideas about things that you're supposed to do to get holy. And so as we begin today, what I want to begin is I want to just sort of open the manufacturer's instructions and say, God, how do you make people holy? 
What is your process by which you make people holy? And so we're going to do that, and, uh, and we're going to look at this, uh, this topic of sanctification. And I'm calling this message, Whose Job? Is sanctification. So if you want to, or if you're if you have a Bible handy, you can turn with me to Romans chapter 12. But before we, as you're turning there, before we dig into Romans 12, I want to give you just a little bit of context. I want to sort of backtrack the first 11 chapters of Romans. And in Romans, uh, Paul outlines how salvation happens. And he starts out the book by saying, all people are guilty before God. All people are under the power of sin. And he says, the Jews are guilty before God because they had the law and they didn't keep it. Paul says that the Gentiles are guilty before God because God was clearly evident in creation and yet they never acknowledged him and they never worshiped him as God. All people are guilty. All people are uh, deserving of death. And yet then Paul turns and he says, but thanks be to God for Jesus Christ who died on our behalf. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death that we deserve to die so that we could be made holy. And he uses this legal term justification to describe what happens, that we trust our lives to Jesus. This is the way we begin. We say, Jesus, I trust your salvation, that your death is sufficient for my sin. This is what happens at conversion. And he says, in this moment, you are justified. He says, Jesus says, I pronounce you holy. In that moment, God says, you are holy. Not because of anything that you have done, but Jesus has paid the cost for you to be holy. It's a legal term. And he says, you are justified. This is how you're saved. You trust your life entirely to Jesus. And Jesus takes on your sin and paid the penalty for your sin. And now he has given you a new life. And the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. You are holy. But if you've been a follower of Jesus for any amount of time, it doesn't, you, you sort of see that, that that doesn't really like, I don't feel holy. I don't, it doesn't seem like anything's different in my life. Well, Paul goes on and he says, the purpose of our lives now, as we've been made holy and justified, is to live a life that reflects the character of God. And we go, well, I, I, I mean, there's a lot of places in my life that's not true. I don't know what to do with that. But he says, because you're a recipient of God's grace in Christ and that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, should no longer be characterized by sin. Again, we find ourselves going, I don't know how to do that. That's the first 11 chapters. Chapter 12 begins like this. Read with me. Uh, Verses 1 and 2, chapter 12, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul begins to explain to us that the appropriate response, he says, therefore, I urge you, therefore, everything that happened before this, Because of God's great grace, because of your justification, because you've been declared holy, 
the response to God's great grace is worship. But not just any kind of worship. What what Paul says is the appropriate worship is an offering of your life. That you begin to live a life that reflects the holiness of God. That's how you worship God, is that you live a life marked by His holiness. Because God has declared you holy, you live a life that reflects the declaration. That's how you worship God. But if you've been following Jesus for more than about 20 seconds, what you probably have realized is that there's areas in your life that just don't reflect God's character. I know that's true of me. That we all have these places in our lives where we would say, gosh, God has declared me holy, but this part of my life is not reflecting of who God is. This part of my life is not deserving of that declaration. And then we begin to realize that there's this gap between God's holiness and my holiness. And yet God calls this whole thing holy. What's happening here? What do I do with this gap? Every one of us has it. So if you're sitting in in one of our homes and you're sitting here going, am I the only one? No, everybody sitting around you has a gap. We all have a gap. We all have this space. And so as we talk about this and as we talk about being holy, we run the risk of falling into two errors. The first error is this. We decide maybe that God doesn't care anymore. Like, you know... God of the Old Testament, he was just, you know, he was very much a God of judgment and a God of law. And, but the God of the New Testament, it's all about grace. That God just loves, there's no law anymore. It's all grace. That God just deals with with us differently and he doesn't really care about how I live my life. That's, that just reflects a misunderstanding of the Old Testament. Let me give you a little bit of clarity. In the Old Testament, God saves the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He does this before he ever asks them to live a life that reflects his holiness. God saved Israel by his grace. It was grace that saved Israel out of slavery. After they get through the Red Sea and the Egyptian armies are all washed away, they begin to praise God for how he saved them. And they say, we want you to be our God. And God says, if you want to do that, we can do that. If we're going to do that, we're going to make an agreement about what it looks like for me to be your God. And he gives the Ten Commandments to Israel. And he says, do you agree to live this way? Because this is how you reflect my character into the world. And Israel says, absolutely. That's, that's yeah, we're in. Sign us up. We'll do it. That's how this works, that that God saved them by grace. And then he says, if you want me to be your God, this is the agreement we make, that you live life to reflect my character. That it's always been grace. That in the Old Testament, God saved by grace. And in the New Testament, God saves by grace. That in the Old Testament, God cared about character and holiness. And in the New Testament, God cares about character and holiness. God is not two separate gods. God is one and he's consistent. That he saves by grace and relationship is fostered by the way that you conduct your life. That's how you stay in relationship. 
God has always cared about how people reflect his character. But God has always been a God of grace. So the first error we fall into is deciding, well, you know, God just doesn't care. The second error that we fall into is believing that you and I can actually do this stuff. Right? Like that we could actually live a holy life. You know, we set out to it and we're going to live this perfectly. We reflect God's character. I'm going to put the Ten Commandments on my refrigerator. Every time I go to the refrigerator, I'm going to look at the Ten Commandments and I'm going to remember and I'm going to muscle up and I'm going to do this right. I got them posted on my bathroom mirror so when I'm brushing my teeth, I can see the Ten Commandments and I'm going to do it. And we, you know, we get, just get the, the best effort we can get. But this too... Same as the first era, this too reflects a misunderstanding of God and of the history of God's people. After the Israelites agreed to live their lives according to the commandments, after they agreed to live in this covenant with God, the God who had saved them, they fail over and over. It's funny, I don't know if you've ever read it in the Old Testament, God is writing the tablets uh, writing the Ten Commandments on the tablets, and before the Ten Commandments ever show up in physical form among the Israelites, they've already made another God and they're worshiping it. They fail over and over and over again. They don't live up to the covenant. Several times God is like, I don't know what I've done here. They grieve God because we've made this covenant and yet you all don't seem to even want to live up to it. And then if you fast forward a little bit, you get to the time of Jesus and there's this group called the Pharisees. And these people are keeping the commandments to the letter. And yet the way that they fail is they never reflect the softness of heart, the, the heart of God for other people. They're some of the hardest hearted people. And Jesus has his harshest critiques and his harshest rebukes for the Pharisees. That these people, even though they maintain the letter, they don't reflect God's heart. And so the error that we fall into is that we believe maybe we could do this on our own. The other error is maybe we think we don't even need to do this. Both of those are equally wrong. But the gospel says you could never do it. That there's no way you could ever live the life God intended. You could never reflect the character of God. So Jesus made a way for you to come into relationship with your true father so that you could receive the spirit of God. It is God's Holy Spirit that makes you holy. It's not anything you do. It's God's spirit that transforms you on the inside. It works from the inside out. The Holy Spirit moves in, he takes up residence, and he cleans up the nasty inside of you. Sanctification is God's job. So am I saying this is just a passive process? I give my life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in me, I kick my feet up, watch TV, and eat Cheetos. Is that what I'm saying? No, that's not at all what I'm saying. That's not at all what I'm saying. Paul gives a couple of instructions to the Roman church for their role in sanctification. Sanctification is God's job, but you have a part to play. That the way you become holy is all on God's end, and yet he, he, he has a role for you. There's a part that you have to play. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, check this part, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
Paul says your role is to offer your body to God. You know, this, the idea, well, we offered our heart, you know. I got saved, I gave my heart to Jesus. And Paul says, that's not enough. The way you do this is you offer your body. Some other translations that you may read say, this is your act of spiritual worship. And this is a direct confrontation to a first century heresy called Gnosticism, which said that the spirit is higher than the body. That the spirit is, that's the thing that counts. That the the spirit is more important than the body. That to be a real uh, person is to be really spiritual. And they elevated the spirit above the body. In fact, they would say that the spirit is trapped inside of this body, which is just a bad thing. And that the the goal of all uh, religious belief and of all spirituality was to remove the spirit from the body. And that's how you you achieved actual spirituality. That's, That's the real stuff. This is the actual way to live life. And Paul is confronting this because this belief then makes you think, well, it doesn't matter what I do with my body. That's what the Greeks believed, that it didn't matter what they did with their bodies because really they were spirit. The body was just a trap. And so I can sleep with whoever I want. I can take whatever drugs I want to take. I can do whatever with my body. It doesn't matter because what actually matters is the spirit. And these things are not being done to my spirit, so it's okay. Incidentally, this is kind of how we look at spirituality today. That we, we break them apart. That what we do with our body and what we do with our spirit are two different things and it doesn't really matter. Paul confronts it and he says, this is absolutely not real. That, that what you do with your body is absolutely essential. The way you worship God is by what you do or choose not to do with your body. Our pastor in Columbus, Rich uh, Nathan, he would say, if God doesn't have your body, he doesn't have you. That whatever else you may think, if God doesn't have your body, he doesn't have you. This incidentally is why I think it's so important for how you posture yourself in worship. People are like, why do people put their hands up? Why, you know, whenever they're praying, do they get on their knees? Why, why would anybody lay face down when they're praying? Why would anybody do this? It's because your body posture matters that you are making in worship or kneeling to pray you are making your body reflect the reality of what is happening inside of you god desires to have your body so the first part is to offer your body to god the second part is to offer your mind to god verse 2 says do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul says that you are sanctified as you give your thought life to God. That though that thoughts form and out of what you think is what you do. That the things you think matter. Paul is saying that if you surrender your thought life, that your physical life, your bodily life will be transformed. If you change the way you think, you will change the way you live. What much of Christianity has said is if you just try a little bit harder, if you just put a little more effort in, you know, if you just, you know, just muscle up a little bit more willpower, then you'll be holy. You know, if you just don't do these things and you just choose to do these things, then you'll be holy. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says that 
not only does Jesus justify you by grace, but he sanctifies you by grace. That it's all always been grace. You're not trying to live a holier life. You're surrendering to live a holier life. That the way forward in relationship with Jesus is not more effort, it's more surrender. We begin by surrendering our hearts to Jesus. And we're sanctified as we surrender our thoughts and our bodies to Jesus. This is how we move forward. And as we continue in this series, this is the context. That it's surrender to Jesus that sanctifies. And so as we talk about the things in our lives that we tend to not lay down before God, it's not that we want to actively do things to make ourselves holier. We want to surrender things that God would make us holier. This is the way it works, friends. That sanctification happens as we surrender further and further to God.